You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme and I'm interested in your thoughts and comments about uh, what happened in Navin earlier uh, this week. And I don't think I have ever seen a video to be circulated so much as I did yesterday. I think every second social media post I looked at yesterday was the video of the attack which happened on Monday of this week in uh, Navan, an attack on a teenage boy that even the Taoiseach has spoken about and this young boy it now seems uh, it's been reported that he suffered serious facial injuries. Now, obviously, Gardaí are investigating uh, the attack that happened. It was Monday afternoon at uh, half past uh, two. Leo Varadkar obviously is out of the country at the moment. He's in uh, Iceland. He condemned the attack yesterday. He said it was horrifying and he said he thinks anybody who watched who watched it or has heard about it uh, could not but condemn it utterly. And then he went on to send his solidarity out to the person who was harmed and injured and he sent a message uh, to that young boy uh, to say to them that life does get better. It's very sad that people experience violence and bullying in school but life does get better and his message to that young lad is to uh, never give up. Now obviously the Gardaí are appealing to anyone who's got information um, or, or sorry the Taoiseach is appealing to anyone who's got information to cooperate with the Gardaí because their investigation is underway and it's also been reported that the Justice Minister Simon Harris actually spoke to this young boy's mother on the phone after the uh, incident. Now the attack it didn't take place on school grounds but it occurred as the group of this teenage boy and a group of other teenagers were walking across a green which was near the school and the fact is it was at half two I'm assuming looking at it it looked like it was the end of the school day and they were all heading home and there was a lot of young people crossing this green which I imagine common way for the, for the young people to uh, get home um, now the guard the press office all they will confirm is that a male juvenile uh, later attended Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda where he had to receive treatment for serious facial injuries and I read a report online yesterday that four of his teeth were actually broken because you can see on the video footage which I have to say I found really really difficult uh, to watch you could see he was being punched in the face but he was being kicked while he was on the ground uh, as well now the Gardaí you know obviously say they're aware of this video that's uh, circulating and they did put out an appeal out of respect to the victim they're asking people to please stop uh, sharing it now the school that the students attended was Beaufort College Navan and that was very easy for local people to identify because all of the young people are wearing their uniforms so everyone straight away in that area said oh that's Beaufort um, at College it's a school of about 790 uh, pupils. Now, Louth Meath Education and Training Board, they're the school's patron. They say that they're aware of the alleged uh, incident and uh, they said that significant disciplinary proceedings have been uh, initiated and only time will tell uh, what is going to happen to these to the perpetrators that were involved. And of course, it isn't the only case 
that of young people being bullied like this and attacked like this. There's another video that was actually sent in to us here at the radio station as well and it's circulating uh, of another young boy and this video shows the young boy being humiliated by a bully. He's, you can clearly see him being punched in the face and there's, uh, you know, a wide circle of students uh, looking on. And it seems that in the, the case here in Cork, the the young boy didn't go home and tell his parents what had happened. It seemed another parent saw the video and then contacted the parent of this young boy to say, you know, do you realise what has happened to your young lad? You know, they, they've gone to the, the Gardaí and they've gone to the school as well. And then there's a report coming out from Dublin this morning of a 17-year-old boy who suffered serious head injuries in an assault in uh, Dublin. The Gardaí say that the young boy was attacked by a group of males. It was in the Bluebell area of Dublin uh, yesterday evening at about half past seven. That boy has had to be taken to Beaumont Hospital for uh, treatment. So there's just so much of this going on. And I suppose for parents, it's a real, real worry because it could happen to any child at any time. And in many cases, you may not even get to hear that it has happened unless they came home with very serious injuries. And of course, the only reason that we're talking about the case that's in Navin was because somebody filmed it and how many more assaults are going on, you know, to even a greater or a lesser degree that's not been filmed. So therefore, there's no evidence and we're not uh, hearing about it. And like a lot of people have criticised the person who was filming it and saying, we don't know why they're filming it and the fact that it got shared and went viral yesterday that of course is only going to increase the trauma for the victim but there's also the side of it it does constitute evidence that you know possibly could give this young boy uh, some justice because certainly you know while the Le- the Loudmead uh, Education and Training Board are saying you know they're aware of an alleged uh, incident you know when you look at this attack I mean this is a very very vicious attack and the evidence is there particularly if nobody wants to come forward to say well I know you know that the boy in the green jacket is Johnny and the boy in the, the blue t-shirt is Tommy you know if nobody wants to come forward there's very clear evidence that has been captured on this video so while I don't like to see it being shared I found it really upsetting watching that I, I and actually, it took me a long while before I was actually able to watch it because I realised when it came up on my social media, I said, oh, no, I, I find it really hard to watch, you know, any person, not even, it doesn't even have to be a child, but even adults, I can't watch fight videos. I, I find it hard to watch a boxing match, to be honest. So, but I eventually, when I realised the serious nature of it, I forced myself uh, to watch it. Um, and it's just, and what really got to me, and I know it's getting to a lot of other people as well, you know, why does nobody intervene? You know, there was a lot of people around you know, at the end of the assault it does look like one lad went and tried to push somebody away but you know why why you know why are these fights left to go on there's got to be decent teenagers standing by who are saying that this is wrong and you know people need to stand up because that's how evil prevails is when good people uh, stay silent so it really is shocking so your thoughts welcomed on what has happened to young people why are we seeing so much of this uh, violence there's always been you know fights in the schoolyard and you know slapping and you know a little punching but this is absolutely vicious and this is a gang you know there's almost a gang mentality it started with one one lad slapping you know giving kind of the boy a bit of a slap a bit of a push and just literally seconds later he's on the ground and been 
pummeled in punches and being kicked. It's just, it's, it's absolutely uh, senseless. Some of your thoughts coming in on that senseless, horrific attack on that schoolboy in uh, Navin. Uh, Texas says, Patricia, it's awful what happened to that poor lad in Navin. Whoever was responsible should face a criminal record. They probably can't be expelled from school as it happened outside of the school. I keep listening to the cost of living uh, crisis and I'm wondering how parents are managing to buy and fund smartphones for all of their teenagers because most of the um, obviously it was a teenager with a smartphone uh, videotaped that and all of the other young people have phones at the moment. Uh, Michael says Patricia absolutely disgusting what happened to that child being beaten up by classmates of his own. The nastiness and the hatred shown was quite visible in that video. Anyone watching that horrific attack and of course it was shown on the TV last night can only assume that those children who attacked that young boy were driven by the conversation that perhaps they heard their own parents having at home. God help all those involved. They will have some burden to carry for the rest of their lives. Parents need to be very careful with conversations they are having, particularly when children are in earshot, because a lot of that hatred stems from home and comes from home. Yeah, and uh, Michael, I think you're right uh, on that. Somebody says, Patricia, bullying in schools, nothing new. And let's not forget, girls can be bullies as well as young as nine and ten years of age. And uh, teachers say they don't want to hear stories like that at all. But some schools are fantastic with anti-bullying policies. Not all. I accept that. Not all. Uh, We've dealt with parents over the years who said they went to the school and absolutely nothing was uh, done. So for sure, some schools are great, but unfortunately not all. 0818 103 103. And on a much lighter note, a reminder that today we are looking for another winner who will win uh, tickets for themselves and for three of their friends to go to the biggest 90s and noughties Disco, which is going to be held at the INEC in Killarney on Saturday, May the 27th. I will have a trivia question from the 90s and noughties. I'll give you the trivia question a little bit later on and who knows, you could be winning and enjoying a night of 90s and noughties with artists that dominated the charts at the time. Everything from Five to DJ Alice to Mark McCabe and lots, lots more. Tickets, by the way, are available on biggestdisco.com but your chance to win tickets for you and three of your friends on the program today. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. For a number of years now, many people have been heading to Belfast to have cataract operations performed under the cross-border health scheme. And thanks to what is known as the Belfast or Blind Bus, many people have had their sight restored. One of the organisers of that bus is, of course, West Cork Independent Doll Deputy Michael Collins, who joins me this morning with news of expanding uh, the service. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, uh, And you're welcome. You're upping the ante here. Tell me about Saturday's bus. Well, we're launching a new um, uh, same-day service uh, to Kingsbridge Private Hospital. This time, it won't be for uh, cataracts, obviously, because they have to stay overnight for consultation first and operation next day. But for these uh, 25 people um, who have heard of the service and, and jumped uh, to, this, uh, to, to be part of the service, they're going to leave Cork on Saturday morning and arrive in Belfast and there'll be a team of consultants uh, for their hip, their either their hip, their knees, carpal tunnel, prostate, veins, whatever operational procedure they need. Uh, their consult- consultations will take place between 1 and uh, 4 o'clock 
on Saturday and they're on the way home, consultation and pre-op done on the way home back to Cork and, and, and Kerry again that evening. So it's the same day service. They don't have to stay overnight. It shoots a lot of people, uh, Patricia, the, the people that have told me, it shoots them because some of them don't drive. Some of them drive, but don't drive on a motorway. And more, maybe a bit elderly, and just want to do this in a more relaxed um, uh, way. But most of all, and most of all, Patricia, some of these have been waiting for two years to get their hip done, to get their knee done, to get the, whatever, the operation procedures, and they can't wait anymore. Some are in great pain, and they're desperate to get to get this sorted. And they see this so, is a, so they go up on Saturday, they get examined, pre-ops all done, and then come back. And then when will the operation take place? Uh, less than three months, because what happens then is there's an application sent to the HSE for reimbursement for the patient. Uh, no patient gets 100% reimbursed uh, at, for any procedure. Uh, they, are, they get about 80%, 85% reimbursed, and it takes about five weeks, maybe six weeks or the, um, uh, for, for the HSE and Clinic to, to come back and, and accept them as reimbursable patients, which they have to do. They either have to offer an operation in, in, in their locality, which they're not doing, or, or um, offer them reimbursement. And then when that uh, clearance is given, Kingsbridge General will, uh, the hospital will give them a date uh, for their surgery. So they know going up on Saturday that they're going to be seen within two to three months. The system we have here, and I, we just pulled one out of the file. I asked uh, Margaret the staff to pull one name out of the file the other day and look at how long this person, this man, was Cork, was waiting two and a half years, one way or another, and still hasn't gotten the appointment for his hip. Um, and he's in pain, and he's going up here. And that's just one. Uh, I, I just don't see any difference with the rest. They're a long time waiting. Obviously, no one wants to travel anywhere outside their district if they can get this operation done locally, Cork or Kerry, but uh, it's not happening. And they have little choice in the matter, Patricia. And this is a, yeah, this and is a, a not a great solution, but it's another type of solution. Yeah, I know. And when, when, when I heard yesterday about what you're offering and, and what's happening with these 25 patients on Saturday, I mean, the first thing that struck me was, God, this is such a tough ask for people who are already in pain to have to travel on a bus to, to Belfast but it just shows, Michael, how desperate these people are to get out of pain. They are, and you know there is the downside, like the fact that the journey is a, is a downside. The downside is that they have to pay up front first for the operation. Now, in fairness to the credit union, they've come on board with so many people's operations, and you know when they uh, giving them bridging loans, and when they get their reimbursement payment back, they give it back to the credit union. But it is a difficult, it's a difficult church for quite a lot of people, like people like coming from the Bear Peninsula, people come from Skull, um, from Mallow, from uh, Inchgeel, Yahoo, Cars, Gibberine, Tranquility, Castle Island, Killarney. So they're coming from all over here now, which isn't just any, uh, it's, it's a geographical spread of between uh, mainly Carp and, and, and Kerry people. But just remember, we have 887,500 people on waiting list. 97,000 of them are children in this country. And that's not including the 243,000 that are waiting for CTs, for MRIs, for ultrasound. So we have over 1 million people on waiting list. And I raised that question yesterday. The teacher wasn't there yesterday, but I raised it with the former Minister of Health, um, uh, Simon Harris. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't over impressed with his answer. You know, I was telling him, is it good enough? And he said, I'm only having a cheap shot. I wasn't having a cheap shot. These are factual figures that are there. And last year, um, uh, Minister Donnelly spent three hundred and fifty million on waiting lists. That plan was to reduce uh, the waiting list by eighteen percent um, of a hundred. We'll say by one hundred and thirty-two thousand. 
All it done by the end of the year was it reduced by only 1.6%, 11,500. So they're not meeting any targets. And these people going up uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, sorry, Saturday, know full well yeah, and I don't have the paper in front of me, but I know on the examiner today, they're talking about, uh, aside from the waiting list, they're talking about the amount of appointments that were cancelled. And you're thinking somebody who's been on a waiting list for, you know, as you say, in some cases, years, finally get a date. And then suddenly it's cancelled because of the pressure that the hospitals, the acute hospitals are already uh, under with the backup in the A&E. So the knock-on effect is that the operations get cancelled. The operations are cancelled. The, the, the meeting the consultants before the operations, weeks in advance are, are cancelled. It's just one, you know, we have, we have the same situation with the cataract. You know, I have two buses going up this weekend for cataracts as well. And that's gone, exploded completely. People have no longer confidence in the system. And those who are barely able to travel are doing their best to travel. It's terrible and fair. It doesn't seem, it, it seems like a very, very uncaring government that hasn't tackled this issue. And I've been looking to start the same day service for a long time because I always knew it would uh, attract, but we just didn't have the time to deal with it. And, you know, I'm lucky I've, you know, great staff and Paddy and, 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 and Margaret and, and and others out there too, community activists like Mags McKinnon and, 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 and Peter O'Donoghue and us. People are trying their best to try and help their communities. People come to them saying they're in dire pain, can't cope any longer with the pain they're in. Can, but we're giving them what they'll have, as I said to you, going up on Saturday's light at the end of what has yeah. been a very dark tunnel for well, a lot of us. During the pandemic, we, the, the Department of Health used took over the private hospitals. Could we not start looking at the private hospitals more? They've got capacity and start getting operations done at the private hospitals. That's what, there's, there's several areas that you'd like to think that the HSE would set up and, and take interest in running because there's a, a private hospital we're taking the patients in Belfast, Kingsbridge. But that, you, that's number one, that they could look at the private hospitals here. They could also look at uh, Bantry General Hospital and Mallow Hospital to carry out most or all of these procedures. There's no big deal as to why they can't do it, but they continuously. Another thing too, uh, Patricia, is, is overnight. Uh, they should be working around the clock. That's what they're doing in private hospitals. And seven days a week. So operations should be taking place over the weekend. There's loads of ways of, of looking at this from a different angle, but it looks to me as if they're just they're very, very closed in, very uh, un, unwanting or unhelpful to, to change what's there already. The system is very, very much broken, um, and it's unfortunate because I remember in 2016 when I got evicted, all these people coming to me for operational procedures, and we could do nothing about it. Now we're finding some type of a solution for it. But it's not the correct solution. These people should be looked after and cared for in their own in their yeah, own areas. Yeah, and and various ages getting on that bus is there? Yes, again, um, I'd say from anything from about maybe fifty to eighty-five. Oh my God, an eighty-five-year-old! What time right. will the bus leave on Saturday in the morning? Uh, the bus is leaving at six a.m. on Saturday morning. Um, it's, it's it's leaving Clarny, heading into Cork. Both of the people are getting on in Cork. And I have a couple of people getting on and a couple of exits on the way up. And so they'll be in Belfast. I think the first consultation is at 1 o'clock. And then there'll be there'll be two consultants meeting with the 25 people. So they'll probably split them down the middle and have them out, I think, between 4 to 5 o'clock. So they'll have their consultation in pre-op, which is very important because the pre-op could mean they'd have to go back up again, but they won't this time. So the only time they'll have to go up after this is for their date of operation. So as I said, people at least know now 
started two or three months. I, I, I've had people turned over in two months, but I hate to give them that I know, uh, I know. assurance in and my And then, then expect it back to West Cork. What time on Saturday night? Well, if they're leaving, I expect they'll be leaving Belfast at around 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Should be back at 10 o'clock. Oh, from, from, from 6 a.m. in the morning. But you know, it's, it, it, you know what one lady said to me? Uh, does that mean I can actually be back to work the next day? And I said, yeah, that suits me. You know, yeah, so yeah, I know. Listen, I know. I just, I, I just can't get my head around um, the, the desperation of somebody in pain sitting on a bus from 6 a.m. knowing they're not going to be home until at least 10 o'clock at night. God help them. Somebody says, what about a person who thought they were on a waiting list for three and a half years only to discover they weren't on the waiting list at all? There was obviously some administ- admin uh, discrepancy. Others asking, how much does a knee and a hip replacement cost in Belfast? Do you know what yeah. it costs? Well, I, I give them a rough idea, but yeah. from what I can gather, um, you, you'll do your consultation. They know the extent of the damage that's done to the knee or the hip. Then they, 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 they uh, I suppose, present the price to the HSE and the HSE reverse. But it can cost between the twelve and fourteen thousand. Twelve and fourteen. Okay, and you pay yeah. up front, and as you say, for for people, uh, credit unions have been great. You get yeah. the bridging loan, and then and then okay. So between twelve and fourteen, and you can be guaranteed at least eighty percent of it will be covered. So you won't have to. You yeah. won't have to. So you should be able to get twelve okay. twelve something back after. You know, look, it's, it's not the best solution in the world, but at least for these twenty five people, it's, it's their number one solution right now. Okay, somebody says, Patricia, I'm 65 years old. I've been on a waiting list for the past three years for a back procedure. Uh, Deputy Michael Collins is a great man. And others are asking, are you going to be running similar buses? Yes, 100%. Uh, As I said, I've been looking to do this for a long time, uh, but it's just, you know, time and and being able to, you know, concentrate on trying to get... The the cataract thing exploded far more than I expected. And we we always assumed two buses. We're running two buses this weekend on cataract and then just one extra bus on this. So definitely I'd be hoping that we could do one a month. And who knows? That's what I said probably initially to you in 2018 in relation to cataracts. And now we're doing four or five a month, you know. But uh, it's not getting any better. And the minister said yesterday, oh, we'll have a a new cataract unit open in Cork uh, this year. They promised that last year and it's there. and They can't staff it. Okay, I know I, I already know the answer to this, but I will put it out there because uh, John uh, called up and said uh, the service that you're running. Do you gain anything out of it? You don't. You don't. No, no you, you gain absolutely one hundred percent not. The, the only payment people uh, give me is the payment that has to go to the bus operator. Yeah. And okay. other than that, they pay the hotel themselves. They pay the consultation themselves. They pay the uh, the surgery themselves okay. and Kingsbridge. And, and in fairness, and your, your caller might be concerned about in case I'm gaining and the only thing that Kingsbridge do for me is that they give 6,000 a year to community organisations and I gave it to Cancer Connect this year and I gave it to, uh, sorry, the Michael Collins statue, we gave some contribution for that. It's always given out and it's open okay. transparent. and transparent. And I don't handle the money, they, they direct it to them as a, a little bit of a, a bonus. And, and that, by the way, that Michael Collins statue is not a statue to yourself, let's be it. No. <laughs> to point that out. And just finally, uh, Bill in Clannacilty said, only for the likes of Michael Collins um, uh, organising these uh, buses, many people, w- w- if they were listening into this conversation, would be thinking we're living in a third world country. Would Michael ever consider putting his name into the ring to run the HSE? Well, the HSE, as it stands to me, is is a broken, it's absolutely broken. And that's the point I made to Minister Harris uh, yesterday. He was quite angered, I think, by me making that point. And I gave him uh, several uh, several uh, issues that we have at the moment. I have a, a 
double amputee in, in, in West Cork looking to go home from hospital can't get a home help. We have an endoscopy unit being promised to Bantry Hospital. We have a stroke unit promised to Bantry Hospital not coming there. We have a mental health service that's losing beds. It's one thing on top of the other. And he said I was having a cheap shot, and I didn't think I was having a cheap shot. And I said that to Minister Harris, when you, if you stood there on Saturday morning and see people of all the ages trying to desperately go for 25 minutes surgery for a cataract or trying desperately to go up and save their try and get their hip where they need them, that's not having a cheap shot. That's facts. That's something getting okay. done on the ground. But unfortunately, the HSE are, are, are way off the game as to come in to resolve these issues. Okay, and sort of words of comfort to anybody, if to, to the 25 that heading up on that bus on a Saturday, somebody said, I had two hips done in Belfast back in 2019. I've never looked back. I'd go again in the morning if I needed to. So thank you for that. All right, Michael, listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks thank for joining us. And listen, wish the best of luck to the 25 heading off on I'm Saturday for us. Thanks, thanks for that. That is uh, West Cork Independent uh, Doll Deputy Michael Collins. And that's what we've come to uh, when people are desperate to get an operation to get them out of pain they are willing to get on a bus and go all the way to Belfast for hip and knee and carpal tunnel and prostate I think he mentioned as well procedures now we're right in the middle of first holy communion and confirmation as season for this year but what if you're not a practicing catholic do you just let your child take part, seeing it almost as a rite of passage. Well, it seems there is something else you can do. And joining me to discuss secular or milestone ceremonies, which can replace the First Holy Communion uh, or Confirmation, I'm joined by Sarah Gardner, who is with the Irish Ethical Celebrants uh, Society. Good morning to you, Sarah. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. And uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Do, Do you believe that that is what is happening? In many cases, parents don't want their child to miss out on the special day. They're not practicing any particular religion, so they just go along with it anyway. Um, I mean, I suppose that's up to each individual parent. Um, you know, there is a tradition in Ireland of Catholicism and a lot of people were brought up with that who are now currently parents of children this age and maybe find it hard to break that tradition. And so I... I you know, I don't want to come on here and, you know, give out about anybody who's choosing that path if that's what they want to do. But I suppose what I would want to talk about today is that there are alternatives and there are ways to celebrate your children and there are rituals out there that can, you know, celebrate who they are and and what you believe in and um, really celebrate the child. Because at the end of the day, this is about giving the children, you know, a day that's for them, that celebrates them. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and it, and this is why we invited you onto the programme, because I came across a piece from uh, one of your members, Yvonne, who organised one of yeah. these milestone ceremonies for her own daughter and for her, do- for her daughter's friends. So, so tell me about that and, and, and tell me how that works. So basically, it's um, it's a ceremony that is very individual to the child or the children that take part in it. So you would have various um, ways of celebrating that child. So it can be anything from, you know, discussing their um, favourite book, playing their favourite songs, doing memory boxes, uh, doing a wishing tree, doing sand ceremonies you know, having a charity element to reflect personal values, any of those kind of things, poems, books, 
all of that kind of stuff. So it really reflects, you know, what's relevant to the child and maybe like reevaluating where they are on their journey in life and reaffirming the path that they're traveling on and maybe to inspire them into the future as they kind of head towards their teen years and maybe looking forward to their adulthood about the path that they're on. You know, because being kind and being good is not exclusive to religion. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's just a way of reaffirming that with your child and celebrating them. And it's a way, isn't it, uh, Sarah, of marking what what are important milestones, you know, for for the children at communion age and again at confirmation age? That's it. And, you know, when you look at rituals, you know, at the end of the day, this is, you know, a, a ritual and they're just so essential to human life. You know, we express ourselves through the joy and the sorrow of various rituals. And I suppose, like, if you look at all of the rituals back through time and even the rituals now that are involved in secular and all kinds of religions, you see that the same touchstones kind of link through them all, you know, there's solstice, the equinox, oh my God, that's a hard one to pronounce, yeah. birth, coming of age ceremonies and death. And I suppose when you see that all of these moments are touchstones for all of these various religions, I think it shows that we all agree that these moments do need ritual and do need celebration. And I suppose to come back to your original question, maybe some of our young people feel like they don't belong when there is, you know, a vast way that their class may be doing a certain ritual and that maybe they don't feel supported. And so these ceremonies, these milestone ceremonies, are a way for family and friends to just gather and shine the light on their child and let them know that they're loved and accepted. And what's wrong with that? You know, like Mm -hmm. in a world where there's so much conflict over diversity, I just think it's a beautiful thing to be able to come together, whether it's in a church or in your back garden or at a bat mitzvah or at a quinceanera or whatever it is, and to just say, we love you, we support you, and here's all your family and friends and they love you and support you too. Yeah, and obviously these milestone ceremonies, you could have a group of parents organising it for their children yes. are they can be done individually. Is, is, is that what you offer? That's, that's exactly it, yeah. So I suppose in some some places you would say, if I, you know, think about my child, he was the only person in his class at the time when his class were making their first communion. Now it actually didn't end up being a thing for us because it was the beginning of the uh, COVID okay. outbreak. And so, you know, it didn't really become a, a situation that we needed to to worry about but you, so you can have in say small country schools you could have maybe one or two people and then in you know in the larger um, schools maybe in you know the more urban areas you could have 10 or 11 kids you know that um, families can come together and do something as a group and feel more part of a community in that way so it really just depends on where you are, what you want to do and what feels right for your family. Yeah, and if you've got like-minded parents exactly. who want to do something similar. And obviously yeah. then, for the, the because we, we've been discussing Holy Communion season and, and the costs and all of that, but yeah. for the little girls, it can, a lot of it is about the white dress. So they can wear the little white dress to this ceremony. Yeah, I mean, look, 
that's it. They can wear whatever they like. <laughs> yeah. You know, if 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 your little girl or your little boy desperately wants that white dress or desperately wants that three piece suit, and and you feel that you want to give them that, then one hundred percent give them that. Or you know, I think we're all so bogged down with rules mm. that you know we kind of put our children in positions where maybe they're not overly comfortable and. I think if your kid wants a white dress, get them the white dress. If they want to wear jeans and a T-shirt, let them wear jeans and a T-shirt. You know, it's about them and celebrating them and supporting where they're at in life and what they believe in. And, if you know, if they believe in the church, brilliant, go and do that. If, if they believe in something different or not sure what they believe in, because a lot of children of those age groups, maybe aren't in a position to make those decisions yet and just a, a ceremony celebrating them and you know their favorite book or their favorite song or adding in maybe a charity element um you know can be a real way of them taking on a bit of responsibility and showing that kindness and yeah hope, and, you know? and it's, it's personalized as you say to the child tell me a little bit yeah. about your, your the Irish ethical celebrants society I'm told you're primarily a funeral celebrant I am um, I am a primarily a funeral celebrant yes um and I also facilitate um the Drogheda Death Cafe, and I am also a death doula. Um, so sorry, I'm you're, 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 sorry, you're a death doer. Death doula. Doula. Okay, explain. Ex- explain that so, to people. Very, very similar to um, a birth doula. People might recognise that uh, more so, and so it's basically about being a support to a family or a person who are actively dying or who maybe have received an end-of-life diagnosis and helping them maybe uh, organise funeral arrangements, organise a legacy project. It could just be simply sitting with somebody and providing relief to family members while they go and get other stuff done and and just providing resources and and support to people at the end of their life. And and as a funeral uh, celebrant, uh, as you say, we are predominantly a, a Catholic country, but not, yeah. but we're not, you know, by the numbers in the church, not that not everybody is is practicing. Yeah. Um, and there are some people don't want to have the t- traditional funeral in the church, and that's where yeah. an organisation like yours comes in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we find increasingly. Um, people are going for civil and blended, by the way, ceremonies. You know, there are a lot of, um, I actually was only having this discussion with somebody the other day that I'm seeing an increasing number of older women choosing uh, civil celebrants for their funerals because they still have their faith, but maybe they've fallen out of love with the church based on, you know, some of the historical wrongs. Mm. So we would do blended ceremonies where a family member will maybe get up and say a prayer and there'll also be a poem. And, you know, so it's blended in that way. But I suppose, like, the mission in general is to give people what they want and need in the way that they want and need it. Now, in saying that, not everybody knows what they want, particularly at the time of a death. So it's our role as celebrants to 
sit and listen to a family, get a sense of who they are and what their values are, and then guide them with our expertise and kind of take them by the hand through these rituals, whether it's a naming ceremony, a milestone ceremony, a wedding or a funeral, and help them express themselves and um, show their family what their core beliefs are. Okay, well done, well done. And you've celebrants all over the country and people can... Oh, absolutely. And you've a, so you've you can, can, um, a great website. It's the Irish Ethical Celebrants uh, Society and people can, yes. can find one. Ie and uh, yeah, there's celebrants all over the country and we're all lovely. <laughs> well, you've come across as delightful, Sarah. And oh, it's been thank a real, you so much it's been a real to... pleasure. Thank you for that. Anytime, and uh, thanks. I'm a privilege. Th- thanks a million. Bye bye. That Take is uh, bye bye, Sarah Gardner of the IECS, the Irish Ethical Celebrants uh, Society. Some of your thoughts and comments coming into the uh, program. This is Patricia. I'm shocked to read in the Corkman newspaper that the Kerry Diocese are now no longer allowing funeral wakes to be held in churches. I think it's lovely in the church. The priests, uh, I think it's lovely to host them in the church. Are the priests still dictating? I'd like to know why. Well, I'm assuming it's the same reason that Cork and Ross uh, introduced it. Um, It got introduced. It certainly was happening during COVID times uh, when the numbers were limited that could go to a funeral and uh, people literally went straight to the church. Then there was the funeral mass and God knows I was at a, um, a funeral of uh, somebody very dear to me and there was only 10 of us allowed in the church and there was something very unnerving about it and yet something lovely about the fact that it was such an intimate uh, funeral but it, it caused a lot of upset for other people who wanted to attend and, and weren't able to but anyway that's Covid times but uh, since Covid times I know Cork and Ross have introduced that that they don't have the removal and the church at the time um, was I mean it's all down to lack of priests I mean it literally is down to lack of priests now I know if you discuss it with the priests many priests are facilitating people the, the body being allowed to stay in the church the night before because for some people they like the tradition of that but they just don't have the formal removal where lots of people go up and sympathise you know the priests are saying any sympathies that you have to do you do it at the funeral home or you do it at the person's own home if the person has been waked at home but I imagine that that is going to come in nationwide so I'm not surprised to hear that it's been introduced in Kerry but I imagine if we get onto the Kerry Diocese they'll tell us it's to do with um, falling numbers of uh, priests and priests now the ones that are there have so many different parishes now to look after. Gone are the days where you had three or four priests in every single parish. That day is long behind us. 0818 103 103 and still getting in a lot of commentary on the story that I mentioned this morning, this horrific uh, story and this horrible video that went viral yesterday of this senseless attack on this young boy in uh, Navan. Some of your thoughts on that. A listener says, Patricia, we must ask ourselves what kind of parents had those young thugs who attacked that young boy, says Mike. The parents have certainly got to be looked at. But, you know, some of the parents might be absolutely shocked when they realise it was their sons were involved. Now, there will be others, obviously, who won't be. But I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that some of the parents will be equally as shocked as the rest of the country was at watching it. Patricia, you said pummeled with punches and kicks. You have it all wrong, girl. The lad was assaulted. Go to the Gardaí, make a statement. Those boys should be arrested, prosecuted and convicted. Then I think the family should sue them personally for loss of future earnings, trauma, emotional damage. 
then sue the school. That will make everybody stand up and take responsibility for what happened. They really, they literally kicked the lad's teeth in and kicked his head so much that when he was admitted uh, to hospital he was diagnosed with a concussion. They need to be jailed for assault and sued and all future earnings garnished to pay the compensation. There's somebody feeling very, very strongly about uh, what happened. Hi Patricia, it's not just in schools, it's also on the streets. I know somebody who was physically attacked at a petrol station last Saturday. Why? Because he nicely asked somebody if they could move their car out of the way because he needed to use the air for the tyres. Nothing but bullies and shallow people who attack the innocent and the vulnerable. Certain laws have to change here. The country is really going south. They have it too easy here. Going to prison for many of these thugs is like going on a holiday. Uh, it's like going to a hotel for a holiday. They're not afraid, but if the laws are stricter, maybe they'll change their minds before physically attacking somebody else. Another texter says, Hi Patricia, those boys should be sent to a young offenders prison for a minimum of five years. Uh, deal with this with the highest penalties possible in the law. Yeah, others are saying they'll get a slap on the back of the wrist and that'll be it. And of course, a lot of emphasis now going on the schools and will will they be suspended from school? You you assume they'll be suspended but some would say they should be expelled. Morning Patricia, that video was simply awful to watch. I'm actually glad though that people saw what's going on in our schools. I know of a girl who's actually leaving a school today because of bullying. The the teachers will have to step up and do more about this. There's not been and that's really and listen I know I've spoken with parents over the years who felt they'd no other choice but to remove their son or daughter from the school because they couldn't get the bullying to stop and you just kind of feel like screaming it's all wrong. It's the bullies who should be forced to leave not the victim of the bullying and Siobhan is picking me up when I said I couldn't understand why others didn't intervene and Siobhan makes a valid point maybe the others around didn't want to intervene and stop the fight because they were afraid that the attackers could turn on them that that could be a reason yeah and it absolutely could and Patton from Moy uh, also agrees with me about the person who was filming while it was bad to have it filmed. He's actually done society a favour as we get to see what is actually going on. Yeah, and I made the point that there's another video doing the rounds that happened here in Cork of a, of a local lad bullied and humiliated and, and punched in the face. And his parents knew nothing about it. He obviously didn't go home. And of course, that's what happens in many cases. Young people are afraid to go home and admit what is going on. And it was only that another parent saw the video. Obviously, their their son or daughter showed it to them and they recognised the young boy. They knew the parents involved and they rang the mother or the father to say, look, there's a video doing the rounds uh, of which your son has been very badly bullied and it was only then that the parents were able to go to the school to see if the school could intervene because it happened as far as I know on school grounds and obviously they've gone to the Gardaí uh, as well. 0818 uh, and somebody is raising the uh, issue that's making the papers today and this is to do with insurance fraud and exaggerated claims and it's a survey that is out that's showing nearly one in five Five Irish motorists say they know somebody who has exaggerated or who has falsified a motor insurance claim. That's a really high uh, figure. It's Aviva Insurance conducted the research. They found 18% of the thousand people that they surveyed are aware 
of somebody else making a dodgy claim. And then when you dig into the figures, 3% of the people surveyed admitted themselves they have actually made a false claim related to either damage to their car are personal damages to themselves and they it was a false claim and they did it in order to receive a higher payout from the insurer. More than half of all of the respondents said faking motor insurance claims was morally wrong, adding that it was unfair on those who were then impacted by higher premiums and only 6% said it was a victimless crime due to the fact that they believe insurers have a big pot of money and sure. You're not doing any harm to anyone except the insurers and you're just taking money from their bank account. Five percent of people believed it is unacceptable to do so if it is a white lie or sorry, five percent believe it is acceptable to do it. Citing the ash a little, it's only a little bit of a white uh, lie rather than a complete fabrication of the truth. And uh, Aviva's chief claims officer, They said that they were truly shocked by the survey results, but they say that this piece of research underpins the urgent need for harsher penalties on those who are found to have exaggerated or found to have falsified their motor insurance claim. And uh, he pointed to estimates that suggest fraud costs the industry hundreds of millions of euro every year. And the hundreds of millions of euro every year is passed on to you or I who would never consider making a fraudulent claim or exaggerating a claim. We all end up paying much higher insurance premiums every year. So it isn't a victimless crime because ultimately the insurance companies pay out the hundreds of millions of euro extra and we, the genuine motorists, paying our motor insurance and keeping our fingers crossed that we would never be involved uh, in an accident are the ones we end up being the victims. 0818 103 103. Uh, John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or you can WhatsApp to uh, 0862 And I just want to go to the phone lines uh, because Pat in Mallow is, uh, joins us on the comment line this morning. Good morning, Pat. It's Pam, Patricia. Oh, Pam, my apologies, Pam. This, you're all right, this you're is, all right. Did you watch the video? I didn't. I couldn't no. watch it. Yeah, no, I yeah. just could not watch that video. I was so upset and so angry to think that uh, one human being could do that to another. And not alone that, what are our schools doing about it? If the teachers can't cope, why haven't other people brought in? Well, the, the school will straight away come out and say, you know, hands up, nothing to do with us here. While they might have been wearing the school uniforms, it didn't happen on school grounds. It happened but the on... the thing is, Patricia, when our kids went to school, from the time they left our door till they reached the school and reached back again, the school was responsible for it. Well, they say once they're off the school property, they're not. A lot of people, and, and I accept that bullying goes on in schools, it certainly does, and, and more needs to be done about it. What about the parents? A lot of people are saying, what kind of homes are these kids coming from? And then, when, well, yeah, what kind of homes are they coming from? But when they're caught then, they'll get a slap in the hand and they'll get yeah. five years. Open detention centres and put them into it and give them a criminal record. They deserve it. What about that poor boy if he's left autistic for the rest of his life? Who's going to look after him? Yeah, and he's four, God help him, he's four, four teeth broken. It takes a lot to break it's a tooth. terrible thing yeah. to do to anybody. Yeah, yeah. Another human being, as you say. A human being. I can't believe, I, I just can't. I am so angry, so angry, so angry to think that our children, I wouldn't let him back into any school, Patricia. I Would wouldn't you not? send my child to his school. No way, I wouldn't. 
No, but I wouldn't let him into any school. He probably won't want to go back to school. The fear of God has been put into him now. The fear of God put him into a detention centre and put a few boys in there with him that's done what he done and see if he, how he like it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, and like the evidence is there, you know, there's, oh, it there's, you know, and it's you can very clearly identify who these uh, young thugs uh, were. And then the oh. other one, what was getting to me was the amount of people standing around. And somebody and was saying, nothing. somebody was saying maybe they were afraid that the attackers would turn on but them. See, you know, the thing is, this is it, Patricia. I was I was down at the post office there last week. I was parked. I have an invalid parking badge. I was parked in the invalid car park outside. Then, and this woman came along and attacked me and. The swearing and blinding out of her for, because I was parked in my Shona badge and I on crutches. And what was she saying? You shouldn't be parked there? Yeah. And when she saw the badge, did she apologise? She didn't stop. No, she didn't stop. The language of her mouth was appalling. Yeah, people are great. Uh, do you know what? I yeah. don't know what society is. What happened to yeah, society I, today? I, I remember a few years ago having a woman talk about her uh, daughter who had, had, she had to have her leg amputated. I can't remember for what reason, but she was an amputee and she was able to walk, but short distances. So she obviously, she yeah. had her, her disabled badge and she parked and she got out of the car and this lorry driver started attacking her, saying, why are you parking in a disabled bay and are you using somebody else's badge? And she said, no. And she says, there's nothing wrong with you, nothing wrong with you. And the poor girl pulled up her trouser leg to show that she was an amputee to show her prosthetic leg and just it broke my heart to think that a young girl would have to do that. But well, why to, should she have to I do that? But she, she, she wanted the man to stop abusing her in public. Oh my God. Well, that was like me with the one. I just yeah. walked away. I yeah. just walked away. I just couldn't. Yeah, the ignorance of some people. The ignorance it's of some people. Well, let's be wise, Liz, my dear. Thank you. Listen, anyway, Pam, stay, stay happy. Thanks a million and thanks for joining us. 0818 103 103. C103 Jobs. An experienced accounts administrator is wanted. It's for Amberley Nursing Home. They're based in Fomoy. It's a full-time position and does come with an immediate start. 025 40900. Taxi drivers wanted for the Charleville and North Cork area. 087 9753583. Munster Drone Services. They're recruiting for an office administrator. Now, this is a full-time position and you'll be based out of Mill Street. CVs with a cover letter, please to HR at MunsterDroneServices.com and the EPS group in Mallow they're recruiting an administrator it's to join their minor contracts team now you need to have strong computer literacy and excellent numeracy skills CVs to jobs at EPSWater.com or you can call them on 022 31200 You'll find all of the details and many more job opportunities if you go online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, both the European Commission and the World Trade Organisation have received complaints over Ireland's proposed alcohol labelling plans. So to discuss the plans, what they are and why Alcohol Action Ireland wants the plans to be implemented, I'm joined by their CEO and that is uh, Sheila. Uh, Gilhealy. Good morning to you, Sheila. Good morning, and thanks very much for having me on. Well, you're you're very welcome. I suppose, firstly, can you start by outlining what it is that the Irish government wants to introduce? Surely. So, um, 
This is a, a set of uh, labels that would go on alcohol products and uh, the, the actually the legislation for this dates back to 2018. So we're nearly five years on from it in terms of it actually being implemented. But what the labels do is give um, factual information about health information really in relation to alcohol. They're quite modest labels. Uh, they're text uh, based. And what they have on them is uh, details of the energy value, the calories that's in the product, details of the amount of alcohol and grams that's in the product, uh, details, um, a, a warning about not drinking in pregnancy, uh, a warning about the link between alcohol and fatal cancers, and a warning about alcohol and liver disease. And it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code program. Also a link then to the Ask About Alcohol, which is a public health information site for more information about alcohol. So fairly modest, quite straightforward, very factual information. And it's, uh, it's, it's as I say, a modest measure because at the moment we have no information at all on alcohol products. You don't even have the, the, the calories uh, that, that, would, that, would be, that, be, that you would normally see uh, on any other product that, that you would buy. So this, this is something that has been democratically mandated by the, the Oireachtas and actually something that we know that people are in favour of having. We, we would have done a survey ourselves and, and uh, that would have demonstrated that more than 70% of the population are in favour of these, as I say, quite, quite modest measures. Because although in some ways we know that there is harm from alcohol, a lot of people are actually quite hazy about well, what exactly do we mean? You know, is it all drinking is harmful? Is it some drinking? What what exactly are we talking about? And this is just giving some factual information. Yeah, because I just 
I wonder how many consumers are, are actually fully aware of the health risks linked to alcohol consumption. Well, we know actually there was work done with the HRB, um, which looked specifically at, at uh, you know people's awareness of um, of the, the cancer risk and breast cancer in in particular, and there was a very very low level of recognition of of the risk you know from alcohol in terms of causing cancer. Now we know that there's something like about a thousand um, cancer diagnoses every year, which are actually specifically related to to alcohol. And sometimes that it can surprise people because, mm. you know, they might think a little bit, well, you know, I know maybe know about liver disease, but they're a bit surprised when they hear about cancer. And actually, very unfortunately, you know, that um, about a third of those cases that I've just mentioned would arise from quite low levels of, of alcohol use, like about one to two drinks a day uh, is, is, is is actually enough, you know, to, to raise that, that risk. And this is really just about giving people information and we would see it very much as a consumer's right to know, because at the moment, I would say that our, by far, our primary source of information uh, or in, information is, is really not the right word, certainly not facts. But, you know, our primary educator uh, in alcohol is the alcohol industry, who very much control the way we think about alcohol, the knowledge that we have of it. And obviously, if you look at the labels on any alcohol product, you know, they're designed to make you want to buy the product. They're not designed to give you information. Well, they're in, just the, they're to, in the business to sell alcohol. That's what they, the companies they, are. Ab- absolutely, they are. But the government is in the business of actually protecting um, the public interest and the consumer's interest. So, the, so the, these labels you're talking about, they're similar in a way to the cigarette style labels. And we know that they've worked. Yeah. So they're actually not as graphic as the uh, cigarette style style labels. But, you know, actually, but it is interesting to look at um, at smoking in comparison with with alcohol. So about, you know, a few decades ago, you know, more than half the population would have smoked. We're actually down to now at about, I think it's about 17 percent of yeah. the population would smoke. Now, there's no one single thing, you know, that led to that. But there's a combination of things. Uh, one of them was uh, a ban on um uh, cigarette or tobacco advertisement. There was increases in prices of the products, and there was giving people information about it. You know the the, the labelling that that you you you've you know talked about there. And similarly, you know, if we go back to this legislation that was passed in 2018, the Public Health Alcohol Act, it's actually made up of a number of things. There were some restrictions, for example, around advertising. We're not supposed to see alcohol ads close to schools or in public transport or on the field of play. Uh, during sports matches. Um, there was some controls in pricing. There was the introduction of MEP, minimum unit pricing. And there was also some restrictions around, you know, seeing w- where you see alcohol for sale. So, you know, for example, in, in the, shops, well, the you, supermarkets, you we've seen a noticeable yes. change in the, in yeah, the supermarkets, whereas before absolutely. you could go in and the first thing that might greet you in the supermarket might have been the wines and the beers. Yes, exactly. So that uh, was a whole suite of measures and this labelling is one element part of that But those, those Sheila, that are objecting um, say harmonised labels are being planned across the EU and why, why, don't, why don't we in Ireland go with those? So there's a few things just to, to, to let you know about that. Um, there is harmonised labelling for every other product um, that, that you would consume within, in, in Europe. Um, except for alcohol. So if you lift up any product in, in the shop at the moment, um, you'll see on it, you know, some details about uh, calories and nutritional information. The only product for which there is no information is alcohol. So we find it actually quite 
galling to say the least of it, you know, to hear the, the industry, you know, calling for harmonised labelling when they don't comply with uh, the labelling uh, regulations about such things that are as simple as the nutrition that that's that's within it. So we would see that their call for that is very much a delaying tactic. It's trying to prevent, um, you know, that this measure going ahead. But what the European Union has said, because there is a whole process, you know, if if a if a, an individual member state wants to do something different about their their labelling, they are entitled to do that if they can demonstrate a public health need uh, to to do so. So going back to those particular labels that have just, you know, the particular information that that's there. So the pregnancy warning, for example, Ireland has a third third highest rate of FESD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, in the world. And this is just one of the problems that we would have in, in Ireland. And when uh, the government was making uh, their notification to the EU, they pointed out all the evidence about our particular issues here in Ireland. And the response um, that, 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 that would come from the, the Commission was essentially Ireland is entitled to go ahead with these regulations on the basis that they are proportionate to the problem that we're actually experiencing here in, in Ireland. Now, what we certainly think is um, we're very hopeful that eventually the whole of Europe would put, say, for example, cancer warnings on, on their products. But our situation here in Ireland is such that we need to go ahead with it now and let others follow. Yeah, and if you know some countries are talking about harmonising, well, why why not harmonise with us, the Irish? You know, I did see a lot of the wine producing countries are the ones that are most objecting, and people would say, well, they, well, they would, uh, wouldn't they? And they're fearful that this uh, this this alcohol labelling, they're trying to preserve the the single market. Would the Irish government, are, you know, are they going to have a tough task on their hands? The fact that the European Commission and the World Trade Organization have received these complaints. So uh, the, the, what, what has happened at the moment is that we have already been through, the Irish government has already been through the EU process. The EU hasn't found a, a difficulty with them. Anyone can make a complaint about anything really in relation to uh, regulations or whatever within in the EU. I could put in a complaint myself tomorrow. Putting in a complaint doesn't mean anything. It just means that it's a, an industry saying, well, you know, we, we want to draw attention to our, our particular viewpoint uh, on that. And they're entitled to, to do so. But that does not mean that the Commission will necessarily uphold or you know, do something there because remember they have already looked at, at this particular issue. With the World Trade Organization, so again, there is a similar process. Um, you know, if any country is going to do something about their regulations, about, about labeling or, or anything to do with trade, they have to let other countries know about it so, so that people are in, in a position to trade. There was a, um, a notification process which started uh, in, in February. It actually just ended there last week on the 7th of, of May. There will then be, you know, and, and countries would have had an opportunity to put forward their, their thoughts uh, about that. Uh, and as far as I understand, there'll be a meeting on the 21st of June where, you know, those things will, will be looked at. And the Irish government, though, is entitled to say, what are the sorts of regulations that it wants to to, to implement? And that what they're doing here is letting other countries know so that other countries will be in a position to, you know, if they want to trade or if there's markets there, they will know what, what they're actually doing. 
going back actually again to that idea where you hear, you know, uh, single market, you know, problems or whatever, or we can't do this or the wine producers, they're already producing different labels for different countries anyway. So, for example, in France, there is uh, a requirement there to have a pregnancy warning uh, on their, their labels. So other wine producing com- uh, countries, Italian wines who might be selling into France, they also have to produce a, d- a different label there. And we're just saying w- this is a, a particular set of things that we want to bring forward. And this is and the label we want. And this is the label that we we want, which is proportionate to the problems that we have here in Ireland. Okay, and just one final point before I let you go, because I saw you commenting uh, on this uh, earlier in the week. The the zero alcohol uh, products, in in particular the zero alcohol uh, beers, you want them to have a different branding to their alcoholic alternatives. Because at the moment, if, if I go in and buy a zero alcohol bottle of beer and you've got one that has alcohol in it, it's very hard to tell the difference between the two bottles. It, it absolutely is. So again, just going back to that legislation that I mentioned where you saw restrictions on, say, for example, not advertising on buses or, um, you know, the, the need for separation in, in uh, you know, products in, in supermarkets and indeed on the field of play. What we have seen the industry doing is that in all of those restricted areas, you're now seeing saturation marketing for zero alcohol products, which use identical branding. And we say that they're doing this simply to get around the, the, the legislation that, that is there. In fact, we think they're breaking the legislation because if you read what what uh, what's actually in the legislation, what, what's the definition of advertising, it includes simply using the brand name of an alcohol uh, product. So when we see Guinness Zero or Heineken Zero, it is absolutely clear that what has been advertised is the brand Guinness or the brand Heineken or whatever is, is there. Now, in the first instance, we would say we want to see the government upholding the law in this particular case. We think there should not be advertising of those products in those very small restricted areas. And it really is quite quite small. But we also say, if that's a problem, well, then let's, let's just change the thing. And, we, and when we, we looked at this, actually, we find that in, in Norway, for example, which has a complete ban on alcohol advertisement, they say that if you want to al- advertise a zero alcohol product, it must have a completely different brand from the parent brand. So that people see the difference and they see that that it is not just a product that being advertised, what's really being advertised is the brand, the large, these mega brands that, that are there. I'll just give you an example of, you know, the, some of the violations that we've seen. Anyone who who's, who would be watching rugby in the, in the Six Nations, you've yeah. seen plastered across, you know, the field of play, Guinness with a little zero down, down at, at, at the bottom. And if you're watching the rugby, it is sponsored by, by the Six Nations, was sponsored by, by Guinness. They're allowed to have on the hoardings advertisements for Guinness and they're allowed to call it the Guinness Six Nations. The one thing they're not supposed to be doing is actually advertising on the field of play. So when you watch a match, you just see this seamless kind of looking up to the stands, looking down onto the field. What you see is, is Guinness being advertised. You don't see the zero. Yeah, yeah. And, indeed. And, and in fact, actually, I was just in my local Tesco uh, last night and I was absolutely shocked to see enormous advertisements for Heineken Zero at, at the entrance as you were walking in, clearly visible to anybody walking along the road for a start off. But, you know, not even the product itself, you know, being on display for sale. It was actually, I, I can only describe them as two giant bottles that you would have seen either side of, of the doors you're coming in. And other people have been sending me pictures, um, which, you know, from, from other Tesco stores. So it seems to be something that they've just started to do. And 
but as I say, going back to that legislation again, the structural separation, what it actually says is that there should be no advertising of alcohol outside of the alcohol zone in, in the particular shop. So this is an industry which is just push, 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 and we have to stand up against it and really defend the government's own policy, which is to reduce the amount of alcohol advertising that children are seeing, that the general public are seeing. And, and I should just actually add as well that people who are in recovery do find this very difficult mm. as well. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the only way to get around that is to have completely different branding on the, the yes. zero alcohol products. OK. Yes. All right. Listen, we leave it there, uh, Sheila. Pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thank and you. thanks Thank for joining you. us. That is uh, Sheila Gilhealy of the Alcohol Action Ireland. They're the advocacy group which campaigned to reduce alcohol harm. Now with this week seeing our first real Sunday days of this summer season. It has all of us reaching for the sunscreen in order to keep our skin protected. While some may complain about the cost of these creams, many will be unaware that the government adds 23% in VAT. The Irish Cancer Society is looking for the VAT to be scrapped. And to talk about their campaign, I'm joined by Rachel Moreau, Director of Advocacy at the Irish Cancer Society. Good morning to you, Rachel. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and gobsmacked. 23% VAT. That, that's the rate for luxury goods. That is the rate for luxury goods. And that's what sunscreen and sunblockers, that's what they're classified as. So when you buy your sun cream, because um, like you said, the weather's getting much better and um, you want to take care of your skin and take all the right measures. But there's a 23% additional cost um, to the sun cream. And what we think in the Cancer Society is that this is an essential healthcare good. This is something that the government itself um, is asking people to slap on um, when they go outdoors. But it's not not very cost effective um, for people to do so. And, you know, if you're an outdoor worker, you're encouraged to reapply many times a day. And if you have a family of a number of people who you have to um, protect their skin, then it gets very, very expensive. And you know yourself when you're traveling abroad or you're in Ireland, um, those costs really do add up, particularly because of the cost of living crisis um, that everybody is experiencing at the moment. So we, as part of our pre-budget submission this year, we're calling for the VAT rate to be reduced to zero percent um, and that would make um, sun cream and sun block a lot more affordable for families. Yeah, it, would, it would knock nearly a quarter off it. That's right. That's right. And today I looked at the, the weather down in lovely Cork and the UV index is, is moderate to high there at the moment. So people are being encouraged, you know, if they are going outside, they should really be wearing sunscreen. But we don't want cost to be a barrier for people to do that. The reality is that there's around 13,000 people diagnosed with skin cancer every every year. Um, and that's going to increase. And with the pressure on health services at the moment as well, we need to do everything as a society um, to try and drive the cancer rate down and wearing sunscreen is one of the ways that we can do that. Nobody wants to hear the words um, that, that they have that they have cancer and everybody tries to take measures that protect their health. So we need the government to row in behind that as well and to cut this VAT rate. Yeah, and I think what's we, what struck me, you know, with, with the 23% and, you know, they, they're already expensive products. You know, fa- families are really struggling with the cost of living crisis at the moment. And the real worry, Rachel, I, I assume you would have is that some families may simply not be able to afford sunscreen this summer. 
Absolutely. And or just not be able to afford enough of it. And that's as that's a risk as well. Um, you know, the, the, the reality of, of sunscreen is that you do have to reapply it. Um, and like, you know, these outdoor workers as well, um, you know, anybody in the farming community um, or, or working, you know, on ESB or any of the other large employers um, that they have to keep on reapplying sun cream as well. Um, or, you know, your children are out all the time at the moment. Um, and how do you make sure that they're protected from the sun because skin cancer is it's one of the most common cancers amongst 15 to 44 year olds in Ireland and um, so it's younger people getting getting um, this type of cancer as well but nine in ten of those cases um, are, are caused by the sun's rays the UV rays um, and whether it's cloudy in Ireland or whether it's sunny we really need to be wearing more sunscreen but cost is a barrier we can't really accept that um and people have we hear our nurses here every day how the the cost of living crisis is affecting um people with cancer in our case but obviously it has much wider um, effects across society and we don't want the situation where people are having to look at their expenses and making the decision well do you know what i actually can't aff- afford um sunscreen and having to go out in the sun and um, without full protection and to hear that figure of thirteen thousand. I think that will people will that will really wake people up. That's a lot mm. of uh, cancer diagnosis. Is mm. skin cancer very treatable if caught in time, Rachel? It is, and it's the case with with every cancer, Patricia. You know, the earlier you you um, you catch cancer, the better, um, the the likelihood is that you know you, you'll you'll move on after cancer. Um, and we actually have a, a program in place now. We're so worried that um, you know people have been putting off going to the doctor, particularly during COVID, um, that we have something called the Your Health Matters Roadshow, and that's travelling round Ireland, and, it, and it's been in Cork, and, and we'll be going back to Cork um, uh, later this year. Um, and and our nurses are located in, in shopping centres as part of this programme. And we're trying to talk to people about their health, you know, ask them um, about have they noticed anything that's unexplained or different about their health um, and to encourage them to seek medical advice if they have. So in the case of skin cancer, um, you know, if you do notice anything that has changed on your skin um, and we have pictures actually on the Irish Cancer Society website of things you can look out for, pictures of moles um, and, you know, you, you might take that as a first action to have a look at that, um, see if you notice anything that you might have noticed on yourself um, and then to either call the Irish Cancer Society on 1-800-200-700. That's totally free of charge. And, you know, in the context of the cost of living crisis, um, that might be a first step that people want to take and um, chat to a nurse um, and maybe get some reassurance or some advice on what next steps they should take if they have noticed anything unusual. Yeah. And to couples listening, check each other's backs because the Absolutely. back is the one place that, you know, you obviously can't get a good look at yourself. So you need to check each each other. That's really, really good advice, Patricia. That's absolutely right. Um, check each other's bodies, backs, areas that you can't see yourself. Use a mirror um, if you don't have a partner. Um, and if you do notice anything um, that, that is unusual, so it might be a small lump um, that's smooth, pearly or waxy. It might be a new growth or sore that hasn't healed in a few weeks um, or a flat red spot that's scaly, um, crusty or ble- bleeding. Any changes. And look, I know Irish skin, we do have a lot of moles um, ourselves. So it's kind of hard to sometimes keep track, um, but it's really important. Maybe take a photo um, of, of your skin um, and keep on referring back to that um, so that you can see if there's any changes. See where there have been changes. Okay, a listener, a listener wants to know if you've got sunscreen, a half a bottle of sunscreen left over from last year, is it OK to use it this year? It was a very expensive bottle that this listener purchased. 
Oh, I know. And look, some of the there's a big price difference um, between some of the um, the the skin um, or the the sun cream at the higher end of the market and the lower end of the market. We encourage people to buy new sun sunscreen um, every year. But look, I understand that that the cost was very significant. Um, but our advice would be to buy new sunscreen. Okay, and then you whatever's left over, you just get rid of at the end of the year, is at the end of the summer. Is Sadly, that, yeah. Again, we'd be encouraging people to be wearing sunscreen very regularly. So you shouldn't you know, have anything like left. In the bottle. Well, yeah. Yeah. We, we'd hope that people didn't, but um, look, okay. we understand that um, these expensive bottles, maybe you aren't using them every day, um, but um, to, to make sure that if, you're replacing them with something else. Yeah, if you buy it, use it. And you always exactly. recommend sun factor protection over 30, isn't it? Yeah, that's our recommendation, Patricia. Um, and that's what we're calling for as part of this this VAT campaign, that anything that has an SPF um, of 30 or more, um, that it would have a 0% fat rate. Um, and would encourage everyone to wear those high factors. OK, and 1-800-200-700 is the Irish Cancer Society's line. Uh, Rachel, thank you for that. Have a lovely day and thanks for joining us. You too, Patricia. Uh, good thank morning you. to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Rachel Moreau, who is uh, the Director of Advocacy at the Irish Cancer Society. This got announced uh, yesterday. The European Presidency has announced the dates uh, yesterday for next year's European elections. They will take place between Thursday the 6th and Sunday the 9th of June. Here in Ireland we will be electing 14 members to the European Parliament. So the dates got announced yesterday and what now happens is each country can choose which day to hold their own elections on but it must be within that time frame. So it must be between the 6th and the 9th of June. Traditionally in this country, we go for either Friday or Saturday. I know a lot of European countries go with Sunday. I don't know. I don't think if I can ever remember uh, us having elections on a Sunday. So it'll either be, I imagine, my guess would be it'll either be the Friday or the uh, Saturday. And of course, as always, the tradition is when we have our European elections, uh, we also host our local elections at the same time. The local elections originally were to take place in May of next year because the last time, uh, five years ago, the European elections were on in May, but it will be on the, that first week in June in, uh, instead. We are electing one additional MEP this time round, and that obviously is an increase in the country's population since the last election. The last election we in 2019 was when they were held. We voted 13 MEPs. Up to that, we'd have voted 11, but that's because of Brexit, even though two of them uh, couldn't take their seats until the following year when the United Kingdom's Parliament seats uh, became available. And of course, one of those was uh, our own MEP for the South, uh, Deirdre Clune. Now, but because of the population base, we are to get one extra. It's believed at this stage that the extra additional seat will go to Dublin, which will bring five elected MEPs for the Dublin area. And we'll remain at five here in the uh, South. But the dates are out now for the European and local elections for next year, Thursday the 6th through to Sunday the uh, 9th of June. When we get the official date from the government, we'll bring it to you. 0818103103. Some of your commentary coming into the programme on drink when we spoke with Alcohol Action Ireland who advocate on um, they're an advocacy group they try to campaign to reduce alcohol harm. They're very much pushing for this new labelling that the government want, rest of Europe, 
particularly any of the countries that have a big wine or drink industry, there's a kind of a pushback against it. But uh, Alcohol Action Ireland are certainly in, in favour with the legislation that's been proposed by the Department of Health, which means there will be labels. Um, the label on the bottle would have things like drinking alcohol causes liver disease. There's a direct link between alcohol and fatal cancers. There'll be a sign on it saying don't drink when you're pregnant um, and also a link to askaboutalcohol.com. Paddy said he was uh, and this piece of legislation has been in place since 2018. This is the final part of it that has to be introduced. Uh, it also is to do with the ban on, on advertising of alcohol, which has already been in place. Well, Paddy said he was walking into a shop this morning and he was greeted at the front door, he said, by an advertising billboard in the shape of a beer bottle. Well-known brand, but surely that shouldn't be the case of walking into a small store at 10.30 in the morning. It puts alcohol into your mind as you see it straight away at the door. Well, that's exactly one of the points that we touched on when... I spoke with uh, Sheila Gilhealy of Alcohol Action Ireland. If you had looked very carefully, because they're not allowed to do that, Paddy, but it was a zero alcohol beer was what you were looking at. But the first thing you saw was the name of the beer. And that's exactly what Sheila was talking about. So uh, you've confirmed Sheila's uh, belief for sure. And then someone else says, Patricia, the control of the nanny state it has on us is really stifling. Whatever happened to personal choice and personal responsibility? We're talking about labelling, bans, warnings, increasing tax on everything. Citizens are being treated like children. I nearly feel ashamed buying myself a couple of cans in the hidden area of the supermarket. You'd swear I was buying contraband. If you really want to help people with a drinking problem, then what the government need to do is provide decent counselling and addiction services. Don't inflict, please, more oppressive rules on everyone. Well, in fairness, part of the label, a small part of the label will be trying to help people if they do have alcohol addiction by asking them and pointing them in the direction of askaboutalcohol.com. But uh, but I accept your point. Do we really need to be doing, I think particularly the this, this sticker on it for pregnant women, I don't think there's, um, I surely don't uh, would like to believe that there isn't a pregnant woman uh, somebody becomes pregnant who would, would consider drinking. There was a time when we didn't know that the link was there between alcohol and uh, pregnancy. But um, fetal alcohol syndrome is real uh, for sure. And we have some of the highest numbers of it in this country. So maybe we do need to start sticking warnings on bottles uh, to let people know. 0818103103. And then the other issue that we addressed uh, today was the issue of the 23% VAT on sunscreen, which means almost a quarter of what you pay for your bottle of sunscreen lotion uh, with the highest factor possible is what's advertised by the Irish Cancer Society. Nearly a quarter of it goes straight into the government's uh, coffers. That really annoyed Martin Infomoy, who says, of course, the government then are out telling people slap on the sunscreen. No wonder they are if they're getting three twenty three percent VAT every time we purchase our bottle. Once again, Patricia, I've said it lots of times before. The government are at fault for this cost of living crisis that we're currently living in. God only knows how many more things do the VAT do the government add VAT to? Well, Martin, I can tell you, you maybe you need to turn down the radio, maybe, because that 23%, while I spoke about luxury goods with the Irish Cancer Society, 23% is actually the standard rate of VAT in this country, and it's on all goods and services that don't fall into the reduced rate categories. And a quick look on it, you know, it's things like all of your 
audiovisual equipment, your TVs, etc., any of your car parts, car accessories, CDs, computers, cosmetics. And that's where the sunscreen lotion is getting caught because it's falling in under cosmetics. It's on detergents. It's on petrol and diesel, fridges, furniture, furnishings, hardware, jewellery, lawnmowers, machinery, office equipment. Would you believe 23% is added to pet food? It's on paper, tobacco, toys, bottled water, washing machines. Um, and so they all come in at 23%. Now, there's a reduced rate of 13.5%. That's on coal, heating oil, vet fees, building and building services, short-term car hire cleaning and maintenance service. And then the second reduced rate is 9%. That's on gas and electricity. And that was only uh, reduced on the May of last year and has been extended until October of this year. And that's obviously to do with the cost of living support. But there's still 9% on gas and uh, electricity. And of course, the one that we often talk about is the reduced rate on the hospitality and tourism sector. They were also at a reduced rate of 13.9. They've gone down to 9% and that is remaining in place until August of this year. And you wait and see, there will be a huge pushback soon coming from the hospitality and tourism sector to keep it at 9%. Only time will tell. But isn't it a bit ironic, really, that the hospitality and tourism sector managed to get, they were already on a reduced rate, they got it reduced even further and yet the Royal Irish Cancer Society are out trying to get the top rate of that taken off sunscreen to protect uh, people. There's, there seems to be something wrong there. There's also a further reduced rate of that. It's 4.8%. That's on agriculture. It applies to livestock, excluding chickens for some reason. And it's also on greyhound, greyhounds and the hire of horses. And then there is a 0% at rate which is on things like children's clothes and shoes. And I remember when that was, they tried to remove that at Fine Gael. Government fell over that for sure many years ago. Um, it's also on things like fertiliser, large animal feeds. It's on oral medicine and it's thankfully on disability aids like wheelchairs, crutches and uh, hearing uh, aids. Um, so, yeah. So, Martin, you'll be shocked to hear if you didn't already know that is on a whole host of uh, things. 0818 103 Also coming in to us when we're talking about people being... Well, we were talking about violence, really, when we were talking about what's happened with that young boy in Navan. And there's been a couple of other cases as well. And that led to people being it's not just children, it's adults. And somebody is coming in on that saying it isn't all young people who are rude. I was in Dunn stores about two weeks ago. I was looking for something on a shelf when suddenly a trolley from behind bashed into the back of my legs. The person pushing the trolley, simply didn't have the patience or the manners to say, excuse me, please, I need to get around you there. By the way, that wasn't a young person. It was an elderly person. I said nothing. She didn't even say sorry. So it isn't only young people. And someone else is asking about an incident. There was a video going around yesterday of an incident that happened on Bridge Street in Mallow. I said, I'm surprised. To, uh, John in particular says, I'm surprised to hear you're not talking about it. We're not actually talking about it because it's we know we're hearing us before the courts today. So that's one of the reasons that we're not talking about it. But yes, I saw that video. I'm well aware of what was uh, a shocking incident in Mallow yesterday. 0818 
0818-103-103. John Paul taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Rahan Community Alert are holding their AGM. It is at 8 o'clock tonight in Rahan National School. Residents of the area are encouraged to attend what is an important meeting. Members of Angarda Shiakona and Winton Atira will attend. Blarney and District Historical Society are presenting an illustrated lecture entitled Mother Jones, the Most Dangerous Woman in America. It's on tonight at 8 o'clock in Skullmirrigan Small. That's the Blarney Secondary School with the speaker Anne Toomey. All are welcome, non-members uh, for €4. Euro. Kildallery Community Development holding their next lottery draw this afternoon at 4. The jackpot is €8,600. And a free community workshop on the archaeology of the revolution in East Limerick will be held tonight, half past seven. Cannon Hennessy Community Hall, all are welcome. Usual car drive going ahead, Drumahan uh, tonight, all are welcome. And in the Glen Theatre in Bantier on this Friday night, um, Robert Missell with the full band will be in a concert, eight o'clock. Bookings available 029 56239. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And thank you to everybody who has entered our competition to enjoy a night of 90s and noughties with the artists that dominated the charts. Everyone from five to DJ Alice to Mark McCabe. And our, our question today was about Mark McCabe. He had a hit single with which song? Main Maniac 2000 or Maniac 5000? The answer was Maniac 2000. And our winner today is Sarah O'Neill of Carrick Tuhill. Congratulations, Sarah. You and three of your friends now will be heading to the INEC in Killarney on Saturday, the 27th of May, for the biggest 90s and noughties disco. For tickets, see biggest tickets see biggestdisco.com and we have one final prize to give away tomorrow but congratulations Sarah O'Neill in uh, Carrick Tools that means that the text and WhatsApp are now free if you've got a pet question for Jane please get it in 0862 103 103 and taking a look at some of your commentary coming in this morning uh, Mary is agreeing with Pam who joined us earlier on in the programme who was saying she got abuse from somebody even though she has one of the blue disability badges on her car. Mary said I have to agree with Pam and I myself have been attacked several times for parking in the disability parking space. I do have a blue badge and it has happened to me in uh, Mallow which is truly shocking and I know people will do an intervention if they think somebody is parked and is, is abusing it but when you know you need to check and make sure that the person is parking there isn't entitled to be parking there before people decide to uh, jump in. And when I mentioned about the somebody was talking about it's in the Corkman newspaper the Derry the Kerry Diocese has decided to stop the removals the night before the people see traditionally as the wake inside in the church and I said it was possibly to do with lack of priests somebody says Patricia I was at a mass a funeral mass in Skibbereen recently and there were six priests celebrating where is the shortage there well I'm, I'm assuming is that family members it's unusual it is unusual to be at a mass 
with six uh, celebrating. But uh, yeah, somebody's saying, where's the shortage? 0818103103. And Anne-Marie is picking up on the person who was complaining about the nanny state. And this is to do with the push to introduce labels on all alcohol just outlining the dangers of consuming alcohol uh, and Marie and one listener said we're moving into a nanny uh, state and personal choice um, and personal choice has been taken away, away from us and Marie says that person is really missing the point many people do not know that alcohol is implicated in a number of cancers the information that the government is planning and trying to provide would give everyone the opportunity to then make an informed choice rather than blindly believing in the marketing blurb thanking you says Anne-Marie so Anne-Marie is very much with Alcohol Action Ireland in favour of what the Irish government want to uh, introduce 0818 103 103 and if you're planning a last minute trip to Dublin please uh, this weekend uh, please uh, beware last minute hotel deals are in short uh, supply and that's because obviously there's a lot of major events going on in in Dublin there's a big rugby match and there is a certain big boxing uh, event and it seems up to yesterday uh, a double room the cheapest you could get a double room in Dublin this weekend 400 Euro. Now Leinster of course are taking on La Rochelle. That's in the Heineken uh, Cup final. That's in the Aviva Stadium on Saturday afternoon and then of course Saturday evening Katie Taylor's uh, fight is on in the Three Arena. So if you're looking around at hotels in Dublin the very cheapest you will find is €400. Now the Irish Hotels Federation, they are saying that Dublin City are experiencing a very high level of demand. And they're saying this weekend in particular, it's down to the sporting uh, events. There's 23,000 hotel and guest house rooms across the city on every given night. And essentially, most of those were sell, sold out well in advance, particularly because of the two sporting events. But I read in the paper, Michael Kilcoyne, chairman of the Consumer Association, he accused hotels of using the opportunity to rob the hard-pressed consumer. And it always annoys me whenever there is an event announced and as soon as the date goes up, even if you go straight away to try and book, they seem to put up the prices uh, straight away. And I find that annoying. And I know the Consumer Association feel it's just they're being opportunistic and they know that if people want to go to an event and they have to travel, then they're going to have to stay. So they feel they can really charge what they like. Michael says... There is very little competition now in the hotel industry with nearly a third of hotel beds now currently being used by the government for refugees. That means that there is now less competition and really the hotels are ripping us off, said Michael, when they get the chance. Hotels will say, oh, that's the market economy. That's what we do. He says it's unfair and he's gone so far as to say it's unethical. He said there's no justification for it. He said everyone is entitled to make a reasonable profit. But he said you're not entitled to rip people off. And Fault Ireland said that while it doesn't have a role in setting accommodation prices, but that the increased frequency and scale of price spikes in the sector, they're saying that it's damaging to the industry's reputation, not just here in this country, but it's also damaging international, internationally. Fall to Ireland, uh, their chief executive, wrote to all of the registered accommodation providers last December, and they actually asked them to consider the state's long-term 
value for money reputation when setting the prices. But it looks like yet again, the prices have spiked because a lot of people want to head up to uh, Dublin. And we don't know how many people are heading up to the Leinster match, but certainly a lot of boxing fans will be heading up to see uh, Katie Taylor's much anticipated Dublin fight. And there, I know this is, this is a, a a sellout but there are still tickets up for sale but you're going to have to have very deep pockets if you want to buy tickets because some will cost you as much as 1400 for one ticket all the seats that are currently available today are on the resale tickets on Ticketmaster you can get one in block C for 500 euro that's for one block E there's ones on sale for 523 in now, if you want to get close and the closer to the ring, obviously, the more expensive the tickets. There is row P on sale for 777, row G at 800. And then the very priciest ones are in row R, which I take it is very close to the ring, 1,400 euro. That is incredible. And it's resale. I've no idea how much those tickets cost originally, but you can guarantee they were nowhere near 1,400 euro. Somebody is trying to... Um, bag a profit on reselling the tickets which I absolutely can't stand but we want to wish Katie Taylor the best of luck of course she's moving up in weight and she's aiming to become a two weight undisputed uh, champion by adding the super lightweight belt she currently has the lightweight titles and she's going up a weight to super lightweight uh, and we wish her the best of luck and of course it's a big homecoming event uh, for her there will be a lot of people cheering her on you're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where we're joined by Jane uh, Pickett. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you, you are very welcome. Let's get straight into uh, questions. There was a question in, because I know I came in in the middle of the competition and, and I pasted and copied it from Finbar. Pet question for Jane, please. A 10-year-old Jack Russell um, been washed, I've put a spot on on, but she keeps scratching. I'm wondering, could the dog have hay fever? Because I've noticed she seems to scratch more whenever she's out anywhere near grass. Is it possible to give her an antihistamine? Okay, so this is an interesting one. I'm really topical this time of year. I'm um, so well done on getting the basics sorted, a good wash and a good kind of comprehensive spot on to cover for parasites. I think it is certainly worth entertaining the idea that it could be a grass allergy. So similar to hay fever in humans, there's lots of pollens out at the moment, uh, be they grass or other trees, leaves that are out. So there's a lot of potential environmental irritants out there that some some poor little cats and dogs might be a little bit sensitive to. If you notice that the signs are worse after they've been playing around in grass, then it may be the grass or it might be something in that area. Antihistamines are something we can sometimes use in our pets, but only do it under the direction of your own vet who knows your pet's weight, can give you an appropriate dose. What I will say is that antihistamines like we would have in humans, they're not really designed for pets in the same way. So that's why I say make sure you check with your vet first. Um, there are a lot of better things that we can use for allergies in our dogs and cats. So things that have been tried and tested and we know are really, really safe in our pets. And we know exactly what dose they need to improve their symptoms of allergy, for example, itching, scratching, irritation of the skin. So there are a lot of better drugs out there than, let's say, the classic human antihistamine that you or I would take if we had hay fever. Um, so it is worth checking with your vet. It may be the case, though. If you are having kind of a, a, an increase in signs when they've been near grass, yes, it is most likely a grass allergy or something like that. 
but look keep an open mind the common things are common so it sounds like you've covered off well for any parasites that's great but other things like a bacterial infection of the skin or even a yeast overgrowth can look very, very similar and sometimes don't show a lot of outward signs on the skin unless you go digging right into the skin surface to have a little look and a trained eye of a vet will be able to see that so I think well done on getting started with taking steps towards a solution but I think the next step would really be to visit your vet and have a discussion with them discuss you know whether you want to use antihistamines and as I say only under veterinary direction you should do that um, but there are a lot of better solutions out there that are a little bit more effective in our pets to help them out during this time of the year if they do have an allergy. Okay Margaret is highlighting the fact that kitten season is in full swing and is wondering do you or does anybody else know of any scheme uh, trap neuter and release for feral cats I know there's a group in West uh, Cork uh, do it are, are there many such groups around Jane would you be aware of any there 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 are a few um to be honest there are a few some very long standing ones there's also some that kind of some that kind of seem to come and go um ask your own vet in your local area because they'll probably be aware of the ones that are active near around you um and i suppose if if let's say there is a large population of feral cats nearby you um and you're concerned about that you could always maybe perhaps give the give the ISPCA a ring it may not necessarily be an advanced welfare issue but if they can't help help out with it they would know the let's say trap neuter release schemes that are active in your area um, and may be able to direct you towards the contacts towards that so it's quite I suppose location specific but definitely there are some around neutering of cats it's really really essential we have a massive 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 feral cat population in this country um, and it's something that I suppose really needs managing going forward so if you do have I suppose your own pet cat or cats that live around your house and are, are yours getting them, Get neutered, them neutered whether they're boys yeah. or girls is yeah. really really important from both sides yeah and is, is this is this kitten season it is it seems to be yeah. yeah kind of early summer seems to be the time when yeah. they all come out you know lots of cats will give birth all year you know at any point all year round and cats even one cat has you know the popul- the, the the possibility of creating essentially through down through let's say their their daughters and sons thousands yeah. of cats um, as as kind of the, the cat population grows. So really every single cat that is neutered or castrated really does make a big, big, big difference. OK, well said. OK, a, a question. Five-year-old collie dog uh, eating grass sometimes gets sick after eating uh, the grass. Uh, not doing it all the time, but when, it, when they eat the grass, they get sick, wondering are they lacking in something? Why would they be looking to eat grass uh, well, fit and healthy otherwise? Well, fit and healthy. Okay, so that's a good start as long as we're otherwise well in ourselves um, and the vomiting seems to be just after the grass, very infrequent. Grass eating is a really interesting behaviour. Um, so sometimes it may be that the pet knows that they've eaten something that's making them feel unwell and they're eating grass because they know that'll make them vomit. They're quite clever in that way. Um, but interestingly, we know from some recent research that grass eating in its own right can actually be a behavioural habit. So it is a little bit interesting. So some cat, some dogs and cats, mainly dogs, get a taste for grass or a taste for the texture of grass and will eat it habitually. It seems to be quite a harmless behaviour and to be honest, is usually not associated with being lacking in something, lacking in a nutrient or mineral. So the word for lacking in a nutrient or mineral and eating strange objects that they wouldn't normally is a behaviour called pika. Um, 
normally in dogs and cats, it's exceedingly, exceedingly rare. As long as they're fed a, a kind of a usual complete diet, they'll usually have everything they need. If you have concerns about your pet, of course, visit your vet. But if he sounds like he's otherwise well in himself, I'd maybe suggest, and bear with me here, a vomiting diary. <laughs> so keep yeah. track of when the vomiting is occurring, because although it may just seem like once in a blue moon and just after after grass, and you know that happens to a lot of dogs, um. I would say that if you notice that it's becoming more frequent or a pattern, that even if your pet seems well, they really need to go to the vet for a checkup just in case. Okay, and thanks to Breed in Mallow who said she went into her local vet in Mallow, Acorn Vet, and they actually have a number of the North Cork cat protection who do trap, neuter, and release. So your advice was right, is to is to go locally. Uh, Caroline is in Skibbereen, a two-year-old uh, cat came in as a stray, fine and healthy. However, lately. Her fur was starting to fall off on her back. Now on close examination, there seems to be a bit of a wound uh, there. She's an indoor cat. She's not outside a lot. No idea how it happened or what's going on. Could it be an allergy? What could be going on here? Okay, so there's a number of possibilities. Um, if, if, let's say, it was an area where it was balding and now there appears to be a wound underneath, it may be self-inflicted. So it is possible that if a pet is itchy enough, be that due to parasites or a bacterial infection or a yeast overgrowth in the skin or even an allergy, any cause of itching, if they're really, really, really itchy, they can sometimes cause themselves self-trauma and create a wound. Um, so that is possible. Even though your cat doesn't go outside all of the time and is mainly an indoor cat, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that they may have gotten to the wars with another another cat outside. Cat bite abscesses, particularly at this time of year, are really, really common and hair loss over them and a wound underneath is, is the most common kind of presenting um, arrangement that we would see. So don't rule out the fact that it might have happened outside, even if they're mainly indoors, if they do have any access to the outside. I'd say regardless of what it was, you need to check with the vet. So this little pet needs a checkup with the vet to assess the wound. If it is just genuinely a traumatic wound from something that's happened outside or a cat bite abscess, they may or may not need treatment for it, depending on the situation. But your vet is the best person to to know that looking at the wound in the flesh and examining your pet. If it is, let's say, self-inflicted due to um, some degree of itchiness on the skin from any of those underlying causes or even stress, then your vet will be able to dig in to tackle well, what's the exact underlying cause and be able to target the treatment properly at that to help your pet out. OK, and Tom has a Jack Russell, four years of age. A lump has appeared on its back leg. Now, it wasn't hit by anything. It's all of a sudden this lump has appeared. They are planning on taking him to the vet, but they're wondering, would you have any idea of what it might be? A bit nervous about going for fear that it's bad news a lump on the back leg lump on the back leg look it could be a lot of things it could just be a simple swelling it could be an abscess or an infection or it could be i suppose a little growth so growths generally fall into two categories benign harmless or sometimes i suppose more sinister cancerous lumps what i will say to you is i completely empathize with the nervousness with going to the vet nobody wants bad news and i suppose if we kind of close our eyes and pretend it's not happening you know there's a certain sense Mm. of comfort in that but i really commend you for making that appointment with your vet you know it's really important 
these days there's so much we can do for our pets even if it is bad news even if it were to be worst case scenario a cancerous lump there's actually a huge amount of of things that we can do for our pets from surgery to chemotherapy so if it is bad news hopefully it's not hopefully it's one of the less sinister problems then you know speak to your vet about the options um because there are a lot of things we can do to help out most pets in those it's situations so, all right listen jane thank you for that enjoy your week and we'll talk to you next thursday Brilliant. Thank Thanks you for joining us, uh, Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. A couple of texts in when I mentioned hotel prices in huge demand this weekend because of the sporting events that are going on. Someone says, Patricia, you get a week in Spain, flights included and your accommodation for the cost of a weekend away in Ireland. And Anthony said the hotel sector, are, the hospitality sector, constantly complain about the VAT rate and wanting to keep the VAT rate lower. But they see nothing wrong in fleecing people with some of their crazy prices. Let them keep their empty rooms and see how long the nonsense would last them. But that's the problem. They're not keeping the empty rooms. They are essentially sold out. There's only a handful of rooms now available for this weekend. Thank you for your tech. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie